We are in the back of our Bibles. If you have your uh, paper Bible with you, go all the way to the back. Uh, Revelation, move forward a few books. It's 1 John that we're studying. You can just type that in your search bar if you're using your phone or some other device. Um, but we are uh, together in this book for however long it takes us to go through it verse by verse. And, and I'm loving uh, every second of it, enjoying just learning myself anew the things that John has to say to these churches. He's probably responsible for their um, you know, existence. He was a planter of these churches that were probably situated around Ephesus. And uh, he is uh, now writing them uh, with encouragements and corrections, uh, saying, hey, man, keep going in this and stop this. Uh, we uh, find that he speaks in terms of the walk that we're meant to have in Christ. That's why we're calling this series Walk This Way. Uh, thank you, Aerosmith and Run DMC. But uh, we are uh, learning that principally he's saying walk in, in two specific things. John makes these huge, profound statements about God in his letter, this first letter that he writes. He says, God is light and God is love. And uh, we got to the verse where he says, God is light and there, in him there's no darkness at all. And we just had to slow down. I mean, that's big, right? So we did that a couple weeks ago. He's going to get uh, on to that second uh, you know, profound statement. God is love later in the book, but he basically is, is writing this to remind his friends in his, his, this church that they shared, hey man, walk in light as he is in the light and walk in love. And, and so uh, the rest of this uh, series, the study of this book is going to kind of wrap around those things. Today, uh, we get to go uh, in a slightly different direction. Uh, we get to talk about spiritual vital signs. Everybody gets vital signs, right? Physically speaking, there are certain signs in your life that tell us you're not dead. Just for fun, turn to someone next to you and just rattle off what those vital signs would be. What are the most common vital signs for physical life? Have some fun, share together. Why does everybody laugh when we do these things? I mean, I'm glad you are. I mean, you having fun? Bottom line. All right, these shouldn't be that hard. Hopefully, if you had this on a test, you were at a, uh, uh, you know, a uh, trivia contest. By the way, you're looking at the uh, most recent winner of the Buckhorn uh, Trivia Contest Friday night. What's up? How's it going? Nobody? All right, who cares? Uh, but if you uh, had this on a test, hopefully you get this. What's one of the most uh, common vital signs for physical life? Oh, okay. I heard someone say breathing. Did someone say breathing? Yeah, breathing would be a, a typical sign of, of, of life in humans. In fact, if you are sitting here right now and you don't happen to be breathing, please raise your hand. We'd love to get you some assistance, maybe a ventilator of some kind. Uh, what's another one? Pulse, heartbeat, blood pumping. We all agree that's kind of vital. All right. Uh, uh, movement sometimes, like, uh, you know, uh, uh, there's probably others, but those are the big ones. Breathing, heartbeat. I was, a, I was a college freshman, and as a Bible school student, they gave us uh, certain ministries outside of school to go and participate in. My first one was to a, a nursing home. I, uh, I was uh, given care over five nursing home uh, residents, and one of them was a lady named Dorothy. Dorothy was in her mid-90s. She weighed about 80 pounds. She was just all sinew and and wire and bone, and, and uh, uh, she was, uh, you know, uh, suffering from dementia, but, but wonderfully so, if I can say it that way. She was just the happiest, um, not altogether person I've ever met in my life. She'd lost the ability to speak long before I met her, and so she only spoke in ruse. 
So she, you know, I'd enter the room and I'd say, hey, Dorothy. And she'd say, row, 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 row. And that was a whole sentence in Dorothy language. I still have no clue what she was saying when she would speak it. But she said it often. She was a blast. She We'd put her in her wheelchair, and I'd take her for walks down Michigan Avenue. And, and it took me a while to figure it out, but she'd keep saying, Roo, Roo. And she was saying, Faster, faster. And so I'd start weaving through all the other pedestrians. And, and she had this like kerchief on her head like a pirate. And she'd, no teeth, not a tooth in her head. Roo, Roo, Roo. Anyway, one day I went to visit Dorothy on my regular rounds. Uh, her room was dark. Um, she was laying in her bed. It had kind of been propped up for her. Uh, but she was just laying here with her mouth wide open. And the sheets were over, and I couldn't really tell. She was so slight, so small. I couldn't really tell if they were moving. And, you know, she's in her mid-90s, probably close to the end, right? And so for a moment, I was like, oh, no. I'm going to be the one that finds Dorothy not here anymore. And so I walk up to her, and I say her name, Dorothy. No Rue, Right? And, and then I, I look to see if she's got, you know, she's not moving. I can't see her chest, you know, breathing. And so I, I did what I saw on ER that week before. Uh, I went to put my, uh, my cheek down to her face so if I could maybe feel, you know, I didn't want to, anyway. So I, I got my face all the way down next to her nose. And she went, row! And she grabbed me around my neck and pulled her me into her chest and was like, row, 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 row. Anyway. It's the only time I've ever punched an aged person. It's the only time. <laughs> I didn't really do that. I didn't punch her. I, I thought about it for a second, but uh, she laughed and I laughed. Yeah, vital signs. Uh, they can uh, be hidden from us. We can hold our breath, fake our death. But we're going to talk about spiritual vital signs today. Because I might be talking to some dead, spiritually speaking, people in this room right now. You've got a pulse, you're breathing, you're listening to me, your eyes are open, I hope you're awake. But spiritually speaking, you may be as dead as a doornail. Absolutely nothing going on. I'm speaking to both those who have, uh, well, certainly to those who have yet to meet Jesus and have life with him. That's the only word to describe those who are among us. If you're outside of faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says you're dead in your trespasses and sins. But then there's a bunch of us who have found life in Christ, and yet we still persist in the darkness like we talked about a couple weeks ago. We still live in, in dead areas, and we aren't alive to him in the ways that we're meant to be. John's going to walk us through these three vital signs of spiritual life, these three markers that show that we indeed have spiritual life and that we are living life with Christ and for Christ. We're going to see that they're these three, obedience to him emulation of him. We live as he lives. And love like he loves. We love not just him, but all of those that he's given us in life around us. These are the signs of life with Jesus. The first one is doing what Jesus commands. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. John writes this, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Obedience. It's a sign of uh, knowing Jesus and being in life with Jesus. I'll explain that a little bit further in a second. But let's talk about obedience just as we get going this morning. Uh, people obey for all different kinds of reasons. Some of us obey because it's just our nature. I, I spent like uh, 18, 19 hours in the car with my mom. Uh, she was visiting with us, and uh, she brought her car with her, and so I decided 
probably wouldn't be great for a, an older lady to drive all the way back to Cleveland from uh, uh, Tampa during spring break. And I was right. People are crazy out there. But uh, uh, we sat in the car for like 19 hours. And as part of our time together, uh, she's been reading a lot about uh, personality types, this thing called the uh, Enneagram, which is nine different personality types. And she's really into it. My sister's into it. And, and one of the nine personality types is the rule follower, the perfectionist. They're just by nature compliant, obedient, don't understand why you're not. They just want things to be in order and right, and so it's just them to be obedient. Uh, good on you if that's you. That's not me. I'm like the rest of us who aren't that. Um, I'm obedient, unfortunately, most of the time when it's convenient. Uh, and, and lots of the time, I'm only obedient if, if there's a risk for consequence. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Uh, those of us like this, we live by this axiom. It's easier to get forgiven than to get permission, right? Let's just see what happens. We're the ones who, who drive on our uh, state highways um, going whatever speed you go, right? Until you see the SUV that's parked kind of hidden behind the overpass, you know, with the blue lights on the roof, right? And then what do you do? You just lock them up. And you look at your speedometer, how fast was I going? And you get it down to whatever the prescribed number is because you'll be obedient to avoid the consequence. But obedience otherwise in humans' lives are just kind of like, you know, maybe. That's a, that kind of obedience, whether it's by your nature or to avoid consequence, is not the kind of obedience that John is speaking to here. He speaks of obedience in, in terms of, of relationship. Uh, and by this we know that we have come to know him. It's, it's when we keep his commandments. You know, the English language has a hard time sometimes expressing what's uh, written in the Greek. Uh, the Greek has all these tenses and voices and persons. And, and so th this word uh, that the English translates, we have come uh, to know him is a, is a Greek word uh, of, for, for gnos or knowledge, uh, but it's in the perfect tense, which basically means uh, we met Jesus a long time ago, but we continue in relationship with him now, and we look forward to being in relationship with him as we move forward in our future. It, it's the difference between uh, knowing of someone and, and being in life with them, an acquaintance uh, versus a, a friendship or a uh, a mutual, beneficial in-life-togetherness. I think I just made up some words. We, we understand that, that uh, our service or our obedience certainly uh, oftentimes depends on how well we know someone that is asking of us or, or requiring of us. If I don't know you and you tell me to do something, I'm probably not going to do it. In fact, if I don't know you and, and you even asked for some of my time, I might not give it. Anybody been to Sam's lately? When you walk in the door of Sam's these days, there's two things. On your right hand, there's all the stuff they're hoping you buy. It's what's on sale. On your left hand is the guys who are selling cable. Has anybody, have everybody seen these guys? And they're doing their job, and if that's you, good on you. I hope you sell it all. But here's the deal. I cut the cord a long time ago. I'm not paying for that, right? And, and so I don't know you, and so here's what I do. I, I, this is... Probably not the best, but I grab my cart and I just stare right. Does anybody else do this? 
Oh, look, the cups are on sale. I don't need those. All right. Oh, grapes. And then you keep going. Why? Because as he's trying to get your attention, sir, sir, you know what I've started doing? I'll, I'll confess this too. Put in the AirPods. I got, ear, I got earbud, earbuds in my ears every time I go in a store now. Because I'm a jerk. I'm just being honest with you. I'm a jerk. I don't want to talk. And so I'm doing everything I can to send you the message, not interested. I'm not looking at you. I can't hear you. I love the guy who's like, sir, are you serious? Yes, can I help you? Do you want cable? No. I'm nicer. But in my heart, that's what I want to say. Compare that to what would happen. This hasn't happened yet, but what would happen if, like, uh, Tobin's son was selling cable? You know, I love Tobin's guys. And if Tobin's son was, was hanging out there and, uh, and I recognized him, I'd be happy to see him. What's up, Calhoun? How's it going, bro? It's good to see you. And he'd say, great, Pastor Mark. You want to buy cable? Absolutely not. But how are you? It's a totally different interaction, right? It's rooted in relationship. We understand this. When we go to places where our friends work, we, we want to be served by them or, or be attended to by them. Hopefully not just for the deal we'll get. But, like, uh, but, but you know, like we used to go to this, uh, this restaurant out back. Heard of it? There's a busy one right down there on 60 where we live. Eleanor and I would walk up there, and for years, uh, a lady that we loved named Anne-Marie worked there, and, and so when we would walk into Outback, what would we ask? Hey, can we be sat in Anne-Marie's section? She's the best server that I've ever had, and she's super attentive, and we just love tipping her because she's in our life. Here's the normal tip. Here's the Anne-Marie tip. Have a good day, right? My daughter started working there during COVID, and one of my buddies who's on the elder board here went into that restaurant one night and, and wasn't even in our, our daughter Kai's section, but asked if, if, if one of the other servers would direct her over to their table so they could say hi, and they ended up tipping their server, and they gave my daughter 20 bucks too. Why? Relationship. I want to serve you if I know you. I'm in life with you or with your dad or whatever. It changes how we live, it, it, we're more likely to bend ourselves in the direction of those with whom we have relationship. Now, too many in the church uh, don't understand this. They're, they're like the Gnostics that essentially John was confronting and saying these things. He says, hey, man, I know there's lots of people, Gnostics were these false teachers, who, who believed that, you know, like last week when we talked about sin, they didn't believe sin existed. In fact, they said, you can live in darkness, you can live in light. The spiritual world's over here, the physical world's over here. Do what you want. As long as you think the right things, as long as you believe the right things, this life here on earth doesn't matter. John's confronting them. And he says, listen, <clears throat> all you Gnostics who say you have this higher knowledge of who God is, you don't know him at all. Because if you really knew God and you were really in relationship with his son, Jesus, it would change how you live. You'd do what they say. Unfortunately, lots of us, as we come to church, know tons about Jesus. You can quote chapter and verse on what his nature is and how his story unfolds in the gospel. Maybe even list out the things that he wants us to do, but because... We have stopped at just knowing about him and have refused, even if we've accepted him as our savior, to get to know him personally. We've kept Christianity at religion stage. 
and fail to move on to relationship stage. That's what makes it so hard for us to obey him in the first place and to obey him for the right reasons furthermore. When we truly know Jesus, we truly appreciate who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, what he will do for us. He matters to us, and it's from that relationship that we seek to obey him. And I'd say this, it's from that that we are <laughs> more easily able. It's never easy to obey. Testify, anybody? Just me, okay. It's never easy to obey, but if I care about the one who commands, I'll obey much better. I'll seek to serve based on that relationship. My first job was at a restaurant in northern Maine, Caribou, Maine, uh, called Yousef's. Uh, the guy who hired me was a guy named Glenn. I don't remember his last name. Uh, I only worked there for three months. But he was my first boss. And uh, Glenn took me under his wing. I was a dishwasher, pizza maker, dessert preparer. Uh, and, 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 and 15, when I got my first job, back in those days, you could work then. And so I'm, I'm working in this kitchen. I'm, I'm, I'm in my first work environment. And I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, okay? I'm 15 years old. I'm not aware. I don't know the kitchen lingo. Every kitchen has its own, you know, language. And so uh, uh, as I was bringing the dishes that I was cleaning up to the line so they could be filled with people's food and send out to the restaurant, I was just kind of minding my own business, kind of, you know, in front of one of these ovens and putting the dishes in the racks that they needed to go to when the owner's daughter who did not want to be there. Someone had called out in the kitchen. Her dad made her come in and be a part of the line that night. So she was already mad. She was an angry girl anyway. And she was in charge of baked potatoes. So the baked potatoes had been in the oven long enough to cook, and she grabbed her pot holders and reached into the pan and grabbed the big tray of baked potatoes. If you ever worked in the kitchen, they're big trays, right? And she said these words, hot pot, which to everybody else in the world, would probably signify get out of the way. To a 15-year-old who wasn't that aware in the first place and didn't know the lingo, I, I didn't move. I just kept slowly putting these dishes back on the shelf. And so she said it again, hot pot. I thought she was talking to someone else. Hot pot, hot pot. Then she said some words that I'm not allowed to use as I'm preaching. And she took a tray of baked potatoes, huge industrial-sized tray, and flung it across the, the, the preparation line. Potatoes went everywhere. People went everywhere. Glenn's standing there. He's trying to juggle this tray. And she continued to say some of those words as she went to the sink to soak her hands, which had been burned by this point. And I remember just standing there, not really sure what had happened. And Glenn came over, and he took me by the shoulder, and he says, come on, bud, you come with me. And he took me back to the sink. And he said, you stay here for a long time. And I'm going to go sort out what just happened. By the way, if it ever happens again that someone's behind you yelling those two words, hot pot, you need to move. Are we cool? I'm like, Glenn, am I fired? I don't think so, but let me go make sure. And he did. And he talked this uh, uh, owner's daughter down and explained it was my first week and I didn't know the words and it wasn't my fault and he defended me and I remember him giving me a thumbs up you know from the back there spraying the plates <laughs> <laughs> a couple weeks later 
he asked me to come in and do some prep work for him. It wasn't my job, but the people who were supposed to do it were out of, unavailable that day. He says, listen, you just have to cut up carrots and other things that we need for the line that night. Would you mind doing that? I said, absolutely. What time do you need me? Now, I didn't do it because at 15, I needed a couple extra hours of 325 an hour. Is everybody with me on that? I mean, that was nice, but that's not why I did it. I didn't do it so I could move up the ladder. I had no intent of staying beyond August when school started up again. I'm done with this place. I just wanted it on my resume. I wanted the experience and a little spending money from the, from the job. Why did I do it? Why did I say, yeah, man, I'll go outside of my job description to serve you, Glenn? Why? Because Glenn had rescued me. Glenn had cared enough to enter into relationship with me and defended me in a very distinct time of need. You understand that's who Jesus is for you, right? Like times a million, times infinity. He's your rescuer. He's the one who beckoned you into life with him. Come on, you can, you can live here, you can work here, you can do life with me. He's the one that over and over again bails you out, gives you the thumbs up. And so it should be that when he asks of us from his word, when he speaks to us by his spirit, our answer is absolutely. How can I serve you? Verse 4, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him. Verse 5, but whoever keeps his word in him truly the love of God is perfected. Greek word here for keeps is the Greek word terao. Everybody say terao. It means to obey. It means to adhere. But it goes beyond just kind of like that, you know, natural compliance or that compliance that's just, you know, to avoid uh, consequence. It's, it's what we've been talking about. It's this compliance that, that comes from love. That's why it says that uh, the true love or truly the love of God is perfected in this person, the one who obeys. You can read uh, truly the love of God is perfected a couple different ways. Uh, you can read it, you know, that um, we get better at loving as God loves. Uh, but I, I see it as, as another uh, commentator sees it, that basically our obedience of him, as hard as it might be initially, uh, uh, reveals to us that this is the right way, the best path. And because he has blessed us with that command, that command that will provide for and protect me, and we've experienced his provision and his protection, it buoys our love for him. It's like all ships rise, right? This one goes up, they all go up. Well, then I love him more. And guess what? From that love that I have and appreciation that I have for God, I want to obey him more. And it just keeps going until I can't reach anymore. But the inverse is true. If I don't love him, I don't care to do what he says. And if I don't care to do what he says, it gets easier not to love him. And if I love him even less, all of a sudden the darkness overwhelms me. And I start making all kinds of Decisions that would steer me away, not just from obedience to him, but my love for him. Jesus said this to his disciples in John's gospel. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Obedience is a vital sign of spiritual life and love. So the question is this. 
kind of relationship do we have with Jesus? Is he the guy selling cable? Is he the guy that we're just kind of like, yeah, I got to do the, the Sunday walk by, but for the rest of my life, it's eyes right and have nothing to do with him? Or is he that, that someone in my life that I have not just a relationship with, but a, a growing, loving relationship with. The, the love of God is being perfected, matured in me to the point that I love him, so I obey him, and I obey him, and I love him even more. Mom drove her car down from Cleveland. I kind of alluded to that. Uh, she's almost 79, 78, I can't remember. She's older. And uh, uh, we didn't, my sisters and I didn't think it was a great idea for her to drive alone in her Toyota Corolla to Florida from Cleveland, Ohio. She did it, because she can. Uh, but as she was staying with us over the past three weeks or so, she started to feel poorly. She's got a bad heart. She's had some heart attacks and some different things like that. She had a little bit of an episode, spent some time in the ER on the day that she, uh, before she was supposed to start driving back to Ohio. And uh, as she was starting to feel poorly, I was like, Mom, there is no way that you are driving that car back by yourself. And so I went online and started making preparations for flights and stuff like that and committed uh, that when she was going to leave on Sunday, she'd leave a little bit earlier so I could preach at you all, yell at you a bit. Uh, but as soon as I was done preaching last week, I got in the car and, and we started driving. It was 19 hours over two days. Uh, we got in the hotel just long enough to shut our eyes for a bit, drove to Cleveland, got on a plane, and flew back. That was my Sunday and Monday last week. And some people might be sitting here thinking, well, you're a good, good son. Maybe. I don't know. I didn't do it so that you would think as I tell this story that I'm a good son. You know why I did it? Because that woman gave birth to me. I've known her longer than anybody else in the world. She's done life with me. She's given over and over again so that I might have and receive. Uh, if she has need... She just has to tell her son or her daughters, here's what I need, and we'll do whatever we can within our power to provide that need. If mom's around me, she's not paying. I've made that very clear. I don't want to see your wallet ever again. Because you have done for me, I want to do for you. And so it is that we as sons and daughters of a God who gave us life, but if we are in Christ, has given us life again who has known us since we were born, who is closer to us than a brother or a mother or a father or any other human. <laughs> so it is that in our relationship with him, if we'll just step back and understand, this is God. He is my savior, my maker, my, my Lord. And everything I am is because of him, and so everything that I am and have should be for him. First vital sign, do as God commands. Second vital sign, how do, a lot of people come to those commandments and are like, I don't know how to do these. I don't even know what they look like. And that's why John goes to what he goes to next and tells us to live as Jesus lived. He says in verse uh, 5, the second half of John chapter 2, verse 5, by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he, Jesus, walked. Now, almost certainly, uh, almost all the scholars that I read this week agree that John planted these churches that he's writing to, um, certainly telling orally the stories of his experience with Christ, right? Preaching those stories. 
But he also, by this time, has written his gospel, probably some of the first recipients of his, you know, uh, you know, completed story of Jesus that you and I have in our Bibles, went to these churches. And so they, you know, had these read in their, in their gatherings. They, they understood who Jesus was. And they heard from a pulpit like this, this is what Jesus did. And so when John says to them, hey, if you really love him, you'll obey him. And they say, I don't know what that looks like. He says, yes, you do. I told you. I wrote it all down. Just do what he did. Great start. Uh, a guy in 1896, I should know the name of the author, but uh, he wrote a book called In His Steps. About 25 years ago, this huge phenomenon happened in the Christian church. Everybody started wearing these bracelets that were kind of, you know, tied off from that book, and they had four letters on them, WWJD. What's that stand for? What would Jesus do? Yeah, you know them. You saw them. Everybody's wearing one. Allen Iverson, Kanye, they all got them, right? But it came from this book, and the book is just a simple story about a church outside of Topeka, Kansas, where the preacher got up one morning and said, hey, listen, for the next year, let's do this. Before we make any decision, before we move forward in any circumstance, let's ask this question, what would Jesus do? And as we recall his life, let's plug that in, and let's do what Jesus did. And so the book unfolds these stories of how people sacrifice as Jesus sacrificed. They lived not to be served, but to serve and to die for those around them. It tells the story of how they hung out with the least of these, like Jesus hung out with lepers and, and washed uh, you know, the feet of his disciples. They lived to speak the truth as Jesus spoke the truth. They lived to defend the weak, to provide for the poor, to bring healing wherever they could to the sick. They, they lived to share the hope of the Father with those who needed him. They just did what Jesus did and it revolutionized that church and it would revolutionize the lives of those I'm speaking to, my life included, if we would just ask that question before we did whatever we did. Is this what Jesus would do? What would Jesus do? Jesus talked about this concept of abiding. He says that in verse 5, if we abide in him. He, he talks about it in, in his teachings in John 15. In John's gospel, he's hanging out with his disciples, and he says this to them in verse 3. He says, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Isn't that great? These guys had heard from Jesus. Peter had already confessed that he was the Messiah, the Christ. They had understood his gospel, that he had come so that they might have life through him. And, and, and so as best as they could, even before the crucifixion and resurrection has occurred, they, they have the message, and they've chosen the message, and it's, it's made them clean. They've listened to what he said and have chosen it for themselves. They, so, so now what? Jesus is like, okay, so from, from, from now, from that acceptance of my gospel, here's how we live. We live in life together. He says, abide in me and I'll abide in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And so he says, much clearer here in verse 5, if you're not picking up what I'm putting down, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I abide in him, it's that person that will bear much fruit because apart from me, you can't do what I've commanded you to do. Apart from me, you can't do what? Anything. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's this picture, this glorious picture of, of the commander, the Lord, our Savior Jesus Christ, saying, do this, and then saying, and let me help you as you do it. 
My son played t-ball at the age of four. Uh, ben is an incredible musician. He shreds on a guitar like uh, Sergio and Rudy uh, do up here. Uh, he's, he's written music. He's just, he's a fantastic artist. Uh, t-ball was not his thing. He's kind of a, he'd tell you this if he was here, he's kind of a fidgety guy. If he, does, if he isn't good at something, it's not just a, a, a downer for him. He, he, he feels genuine anxiety, like, you know, intense failure when he's not successful. Uh, and in this case, it was T-ball. So he's standing up there, and he's having a hard time, four or five years old, making the bat hit the ball that's just sitting there on a tee, right? And so uh, it's practice. All the dads are there, and so he's having this hard time. He's getting more and more angst. Uh, angst-ridden, and so I come up to him and I say, you dummy, why can't you do this? Is that what I said? Does anybody think that's really what I said? You should all leave right now if that's what I said. And in fact, if you're that dad, come up to the corner when we're done, I have a punch for you, okay? Don't do that. No, that's not what I did. What did I do? I walked up to my kid and I said, hey, Ben, we can do this. And like you've seen you know, 100 times before at some, you know, North Brandon Field or whatever, a dad wraps himself around his kid, puts his hands on his hands on the bat, and says, all right, here we go, and takes his hands back. Doink. Then he picks it back up because it didn't go very far. And he puts it back on the tee. He says, see, you can do this. We can do this. Doink. And that's how I taught my kid to hit a ball on the tee. Did Ben hit the ball on the tee? Kind of. First few times, was it more his dad than it was him? Absolutely. But understand this about the good things that you're able to accomplish in life. If you do anything good, I'm just telling you, the Bible says this clearly. There are none righteous, no, not one. None of us seeks to do good. That's all in Romans chapter 3. So if you and I have done good, here it is. It's the common grace of God to all of humanity, his image born in us. From that image, we do good. And then it's the specific grace of God. If you've done something really good that you're like, I don't even know how I did that. That's not me. That's not what I'd usually do. If that has happened in your life, then Jesus just came behind you and said, here we go, buddy. We can do this. Here we go. You abide in me. I'll abide in you. You live as I lived. And you live with me as your power, your strength. We can do all this stuff. The last thing he teaches is this. Do as I command or do as he commands. That's a sign of spiritual life with Jesus. Live as he lived, but love as he loved. Love as Jesus loved. In verse 7, John goes on and he writes, Beloved, agapatoi in Greek. It's one of his favorite names. In fact, one of the favorite names of the early church writers uh, for all of the church. They called them the loved ones, beloved. He says, beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. So he says, I'm not like, you know, uh, uh, foraging into new territory here. Everything I'm about to say to you, you've heard it before. At the same time, verse 8, he says, it's a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and true in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So what is this old new commandment? He doesn't put it in commanding or imperative uh, phrasing, 
but he alludes to it in the next verse. Verse 9 says, whoever says he is in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Verse 10 says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. In so many words, he says this, hey guys, if you're going to do as Jesus commands, if you're going to live as Jesus lived, you better love like he loves. You can't say that it's okay to hate. These same false teachers that were in these churches, that was one of their messages. Because all that mattered is that you knew the right things and you believed the right things and nothing mattered in the physical world. Everything here was whatever. That you could uh, believe the right things and if people disagreed with you on those things, disagreed with your claims about God, it was entirely right for you to hate that person, divide from that person and seek to have that person removed. Hey, how you doing? Wires. Have that person removed from the fellowship that John's writing to. I'm so glad we live in an age where, where people, you know, uh, can disagree and continue to love each other, that hate does not come as a result of us disagreeing over which team is better or over which political candidate is better. I'm so grateful that we live in a world that has learned this lesson. Is everybody picking up my sarcasm at this point in the sermon? We're so lousy at this, and it's gotten worse because now we've got computers in our pockets at all times, and we're paying attention to what this person said about this comment and on this comment, and, this, and then this person trolled this person, and all of a sudden, before we know it, our thumbs are tapping, and we're fomenting and producing the same kind of hatred that John is so adamantly speaking against. I know there's good things about social media. Certainly I'm preaching to some people on Facebook right now. Hi. But if I could just help the body of Christ universal to understand that there's consequences when we fail to do as Jesus command, which he says in John 13, as he was talking to his disciples, he says, a new commandment I give to you. That's probably what John was alluding to. This commandment is that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, live as I lived, love as I loved, so also you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Yeah, verse 10 in 1 John chapter 2 says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. That's an interesting last little phrase there. In him, there's nothing about him that would cause others to stumble is essentially what it's saying. And so here's what you have to understand. When the church fails to obey its Savior and not do as he commands, when the church fails to live as their Savior lived, when the church fails to love as Jesus loves, it doesn't just mess up the individual who's doing that. It doesn't just mess up the church that that individual is a part of, it messes up the world and its perception of the church and keeps them from following. That word stumbling there is the Greek word scandalon, scandal. The church scandalizes itself before a world that desperately needs its savior. And because it fails to love, people say, I'm not interested if that's who Jesus is. I, I see the pictures like you do of of certain protests where people who claim to follow Jesus are the, the hate mongers holding the signs at funerals of soldiers or 
of, of members of the LGBTQ community. Sometimes they're in the KKK, they're wearing their sheets and their pillowcases. You know, the, as horrible as all those things represent, you know, all that stuff is just outside of the will of God, the, the love of God, the nature of God. You know what my, my most desperately sad thing about those images is? The four-year-old being held by the mom in his white sheet, in his cone head. Just looking at that kid being like, what hope does this kid have of overcoming the stumbling block that is the error of his parents. You're all going to go to your houses today. Does the love of God live there? Do your kids see the love of God in your life beyond the Sunday morning experience at church? Because you can say all the right things, but if you live apart from the life that Christ lived, apart from the commandments that he gives, apart from the love that he loves, your actions are speaking way louder than your words. Fellas, how you treat your wives is going to be how your son treats his. Ladies, same deal. Things are caught more than they're taught. And people pick up what you're putting down on the regular. And so it is that we live these lives given to us by Jesus, for Jesus. And the way that we can know that we are in life with him is that we do as he commands, we live as he lives, and we love as he loves. I'm gonna close this morning with the, I think the most important commandment that Jesus gave. This could be argued, I'm just throwing it out today, it sounds like an invitation, and it is, but it's an imperative. An imperative for the sake of those who are so prone to finding the darkness and not the light, so capable of heading off into the woods and away from the path that God has for us. Jesus in Matthew chapter 11 says this to those listening to him. He says, come to me. It's a command. Come here. Come to me, all you who labor and who are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. The yoke was that big wooden handcuff set that kind of went between oxen as they pulled a plow back in those days. It was used as a metaphor. You didn't have to actually take a, a big wooden <laughs> neck piece on yourself. It was, it was what was used to describe a, 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 a rabbi's teachings, a rabbi's lifestyle, a rabbi's method. And Jesus says, hey, take my yoke. Set aside the other stuff that's holding you down and take my yoke upon you. Why? Learn from me, he says, because I'm gentle and I'm lowly in heart and, and in me you'll find rest. Anybody here looking for some rest in life? Anybody tired of reading about wars, pandemics, cost of gas? I filled up this week. Come on. Anybody tired of all the outside noise, the, 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 the darkness, the defeat, the desperation that our world seems to be in? Jesus commands us, invites, but commands. Hey, man, come to me. I'll give you rest. Come to me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'll give you rest. 
So as we close today, we're going to sing that song we sang earlier about coming to the altar. And here's the deal. I, I talk to you guys, a lot of you, every week for like 18 years. Happy to do it. But here's what I know about my life, is that it's so easy for me to slide away from obedience, to slide away from living as Jesus lived, to slide away from loving as Jesus loved. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe that's you. You've, you've chosen Christ by faith, but, but you're kind of turning from him. He's the guy selling spectrum at Sam's. And so whatever's in your life that isn't lining up with what he commands, that isn't as he lived, that isn't as he loved, confess it today. Repent of it in your own heart. Go to the ones who have been in, 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 in your crosshairs as, as you've kind of been uh, out of the light and perhaps in darkness in your relationship with them. Set things right. Some of you are sitting here this morning, listen to me online, and you don't know them yet. I'll just share with you the most important commandment you can ever know. Jesus says to you, come to me, and I will give you rest. I pray that if that's you and you're in this room, you'll come and talk to me so I can point you to Jesus and you can have life with him. Can you stand with us as we sing this morning? Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Father, I, uh, on behalf of all of us, want to thank you for your forgiveness, for the provision of your Son and his sacrifice that won us for our forgiveness. Um, Lord, we know that our forgiveness is contingent on our confession, on our willingness to admit our wrong. And, and so if that's uh, someone out here who has never known you, followed you, trusted in Jesus, um, may they confess that that's been wrong. It's, that, it's not something that you hope for them or will for them. And may they, by faith, receive you today and come to you so that you might give them rest. For the rest of us who already know you, Jesus, Whatever's going on in our life that isn't in line with what you command, it isn't uh, emulating the way that Jesus lived, it isn't in step with how you love, uh, confront us with that, help us to repent of that, help us to go to the people that need um, uh, to hear us say our sorry. Help us to do that today. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.